Taiwan's search and rescue teams are hard in work in Turkey, where the numbers of deaths due to the recent earthquake has already surpassed 15,000. The rescuers are faced with very tough conditions, but are working round the clock to find survivors as fast as possible. To do so, they are cooperating with local teams and coordinating missions all in English. With a light in hand, the rescue team members crawl out from a cavity. The team is attempting to pull out a person from the rubble. It's a high-difficulty operation, as the victim was crushed under a large amount of debris. The Taiwanese team communicates in English to coordinate efforts with local rescuers. After much effort, the person is finally brought to the opening. They clear away some more debris from the collapsed building and pull the victim out on a stretcher carefully. This footage of the Taiwan rescue team was captured in the Turkish city of Adiyaman at 3 p.m. on Wednesday. After five hours of hard work with a local medical team, the victim recovered her vital signs. Even in the dark of night, the rescuers continue with the grueling work. President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday night spoke with the team members via teleconference to make sure they were being taken care of. We came in two batches. Altogether, there are 130 people in the rescue team and five search and rescue dogs. There's doctors, nurses, and a vet. The size of the team in this operation is the biggest yet. After the 1999 Gigi earthquake, the first rescue team to come to offer help in Taiwan was Turkey's. This time, we went over at the very first moment. I think it's quite good that more than 20 years ago they came to our help, and this time we are going for their help. Please take care. The Taiwan search and rescue team arrived before the team from the U.S., which was originally expected to lead operations. Because of this, the Taiwan team established an on-site operation coordination center of its own, marking the first time that an international humanitarian team of its kind was formed under the name of an unrecognized country. It was in charge of receiving rescue teams from other countries, dispatching them on missions and reporting on different operations. Because of this, the team was acknowledged as an official part of the Global Disaster Alert and Coordination System set up by the United Nations. And FTV has also sent a correspondent to Turkey to keep us updated on any developments. The reporter traveled over to the country with a third batch of search and rescue personnel, arriving in Istanbul at 5.30 a.m. local time on Thursday. Let's hear from one of the team members. There's blankets and some biscuits that the flight crew gave us. They wanted us to give them to the victims. We still have to get to the area and report with the local command center. Only then will we know where we'll be dispatched. The recent earthquake in Turkey has been extremely destructive. Istanbul is quite far away from the epicenter, so airport operations here are proceeding as normal. Even in Russian social media, we've had this all over the uh, 
agenda and there were like links where we could uh, make donations and I've also made one myself because I have a lot of friends in Turkey and also I'm kind of, I, I, like, I like the country, I love the country. Taiwan is not just helping by sending search and rescue teams to Turkey. It is also helping through material and monetary donations. Several government officials, including the president, vice president, premier, vice premier and the heads of the six special municipalities have all donated one month's worth of wages to relief efforts. Every bit counts to provide aid to people in need. KMT Vice Chair Andrew Shah's visit to China has attracted scrutiny over his reported plans to meet with a CCP Politburo member. After Beijing's recent announcement of measures to benefit Taiwan, the measures which are set to promote educational and cultural exchanges in sites such as temples and museums have drawn criticism from scholars, who see them as part of Beijing's attempt for cultural unification. Let's hear more of what they had to say. KMT Vice Chair Andrew Xia, who is currently visiting China, is under scrutiny for a planned meeting with Wang Huning, the mind behind China's one country, two systems formula for Taiwan. In the information Xia provided to us, we didn't receive anything mentioning Wang Huning. I would also like to ask the KMT to fully explain this to the public in order to dispel their anxiety and doubts. The DPP always takes a negative perspective, smearing others and making ill-intentioned attacks. The purpose of our visit is clear, to exchange dialogue. The mainstream public in Taiwan is in favor of peace, development, exchange and cooperation. The authorities of the DPP collude with external forces out of political self-interest to seek independence and make provocations to the detriment of the interests and well-being of our Taiwanese compatriots. Beijing also took advantage of Xia's visit to brandish so-called measures to benefit Taiwan related to culture and education. Nine proposed bases for exchange in these measures include temples, museums, baseball stadiums, and scenic areas. Beijing also opened the door for Taiwan high school and vocational students to attend university in China. Right after the policy was announced on Thursday, Xia just so happened to meet with Taiwanese students and business people in Beijing. This is certainly part of China's cultural unification war, but why emphasize temples? The reason is that many folk beliefs in Taiwan have historical ties to China, and through cross-strait religious cooperation, Xi Jinping can carry out religious infiltration. The students themselves are relatively young and don't know much about China, so getting the Chinese brainwashing treatment may cause misunderstanding and disordered values. Scholars say that China's cultural unification war is everywhere. Opposing sides are getting blurred and that the crisis in Taiwan is greater than ever before. A Taiwanese Industry and Trade Association on Thursday held a forum with industry partners to promote exchanges between Taiwan and Japan in the semiconductor sector. The event was attended by 250 people, including a delegation of 60 Japanese representatives from academia and industry. It is the first forum of its kind in size since TSMC's expansion in Japan's Kumamoto. 
At the event, Economics Minister Wang Meihua voiced praise for the forum. Let's hear from her. Companies in Japan's semiconductor supply chains, such as material and equipment suppliers, hold a large number of forums, exchanges and visits with Taiwan. It shows there are many opportunities for cooperation. When the different projects are mature or when the time is right, we will report on the progress to everyone. For Japan, semiconductors are not the most important resource. Japan has many advanced technologies. But it's different from Taiwan, where semiconductors have become an indispensable industry. I believe that cultivating talent in Kyushu will build connections with Taiwan, which will in turn have a bonus effect. Kumamoto used to be a semiconductor powerhouse in the 1980s, accounting for 49% of global productions. By the 1990s, it was overtaken by Taiwan and South Korea. Most recently, TSMC has announced an expansion project in the prefecture together with Sony. The fab is expected to start production in December 2024 to produce 55,000 units per month. The project is seen as a revival of the industry in Kyushu, which was sometimes dubbed Silicon Island. You might have noticed a rising tide of novelty photo booths on Taiwan Street. The new style of photo booth is an import from South Korea. These machines offer a simple selection of four photos printed as soon as you can say cheese. While they're mostly catering to students, a significant number of older people also pop into the booths to enjoy some nostalgia or mark a special day out in the town. We spoke to some photo booths fans and business owners to uncover the appeal of the trend. Two young women strike a cheeky pose for the camera, but this is not a photography studio. It's a roadside photo booth. The photos are snapped and printed in less than 30 seconds. Korean-style photo booths like this have mushroomed across Taiwan streets in the last few years, buoyed up by the younger market. We went to high school together, but we don't get to meet up that often, so we came to get a photo to mark the occasion. If you use your phone, you don't get a physical printout, but you do in the booth, and then you get to keep it. The photo booths give users four group photos on each strip in a simple retro style. Spotting a niche in the market, business owners first brought the booths to Taiwan five years ago. It was just starting to get popular in South Korea when we went there for a vacation. At first we just thought it was fun, then we realized nobody was doing it in Taiwan, so we found a metal factory and an engineer to write us a program. The booth operators periodically release new frame styles. They've even released frames immortalizing Korean celebrities with the help of superfans. Apparently, this booth in Taipei Xinyi district makes almost 100,000 NT in profits every month. The business has continued to expand beyond photo booths. They've added this series of very cute headbands, as well as these comedy glasses and hats in the shape of plush toys for customers to choose from. They've even added a makeup table in the booth. 
Another operator offers a wealth of accessories to choose from, as well as options to take photos suitable for official documents or photos with exciting digital backgrounds. The proportion is about 80% students, 10% office workers, and the other 10% nostalgia. Because in Taiwan in the old days, we used to have head and shoulders photos, and people want to reminisce about their youth. Many older customers are remembering the Japanese-style photos that were common decades ago. The new Korean-style booths don't have the same appeal exactly, but both provide a chance to capture a special day out for posterity. Taiwan is easing its indoor mask mandate starting February 20th. Starting that date, masks will be only be compulsory at hospitals, clinics, pharmacies and long-term care centers, as well as on public transport. At all other places, masks will be optional. The CECC still recommends people stay masked in four situations. For instance, if experiencing a fever or respiratory issues. Older adults and people with weakened immune systems are also advised to keep wearing masks when heading out. Masks are also recommended in crowded areas where social distancing isn't possible and when meeting older adults and people with weakened immunity. Chang'e Memorial Hospital announced Thursday that its total count for surgeries using the Da Vinci robot arm has hit a whopping 10,000 cases. With its nimble movements and magnified visuals, the Da Vinci systems helps doctors perform surgery in hard-to-reach spots. It even logs information from all past procedures to help surgeons compare their methods and refine their practice. Let's see how it works. The machine arm is controlled to enlarge the field of view and perform surgery deep in the body. Surgery using the Da Vinci system is becoming more and more common in Taiwan. Now, Chang'eng Memorial Hospital has announced that they have performed more than 10,000 Da Vinci cases. The benefits of the Da Vinci robotic arm are its 3D visuals and feeling and its jointed arm. Because the laparoscope is straight and there's no way to turn it, the surgeon's visuals can be magnified 5 to 10 times. Also, the nimble arm can do a lot of movements. This can help us with complex surgeries that can't be handled with laparoscopy. To help doctors go even further, Chang'eng will also introduce a digital analysis system for surgeries, which will record the time of each surgery and the instruments used. It will also allow doctors to go online and compare their surgeries with those of doctors all over Taiwan. The blue represents your average score for the curves you've done in previous Da Vinci surgeries for prostate cancer. The lighter blue shows the average time taken by all local surgeons in Taiwan. When you compare with all surgeons in Taiwan, it goes more and more detailed. In Taiwan, 67,000 people have undergone Da Vinci surgery. Besides Chang'eng, NTU Hospital also uses the system and has reached 5,000 cases. Da Vinci works well for surgeries where the field of vision is small or the area is hard to operate on, such as the pancreas or prostate. Recovery is fast too. Da Vinci isn't as suitable for surgery on the exterior of the body or for orthopedics. For these cases, doctors should make the call. Blood supplies have dropped to critical lows around Taiwan, with an average of just 3.4 days of blood reserves in stock. The most severe shortage is for type A and type O blood types, which have only 2.4 days of supplies left. 
The Taiwan Blood Services Foundation says part of the reason may be COVID rules that prevent donors from donating blood from 14 days after returning from abroad or recovering from COVID. Donors showed up early in the morning at the Nanhai Blood Donation Center in Taipei. We're quite a lot of people. Our Facebook friends tell us where there are shortages. Sometimes if the donation center says that there is space for someone to donate blood, we get a phone call and rush over. A 7 to 10 day stockpile is considered a sufficient supply. If it falls down to 4 days, that's considered an urgent shortage. According to the Taiwan Blood Services Foundation, Taiwan's blood supplies have dropped to an average of 3.4 days. The most severe shortage is for type O blood, with only a 2.4-day stockpile. At this blood donation center in Taichung, the storage room is almost empty. It is indeed quite severe. For type O blood, there is none left for hospitals to use. Type O shelves are empty. It's quite a pressing emergency. Reserves in blood donation centers all around Taiwan are running quite low. From the start of the new year to yesterday, supply has been 9,700 bags higher than the same period last year. But in the same period, 16,000 fewer bags have been donated. The foundation says one of the reasons may be COVID rules. People who have gone abroad for the Lunar New Year are not allowed to donate blood for 14 days after returning to Taiwan. That is having some impact on donations. After returning from abroad, you have to keep watch for 14 days. Also, if you get COVID, you have to wait for 14 days after you recover to be able to donate again. These limitations mean that quite a few people can't just come and donate blood. With the easing of the pandemic, I think the rules could be modified to make the wait last fewer days. The foundation proposed that the 14-day rule be reduced so that more people can donate blood to help restock Taiwan's dwindling reserves. The Taiwan Lantern Festival is back in Taipei for 2023. For the first time in 23 years, hundreds of lantern installations have been put up throughout the city, with several lanterns that depict indigenous culture, Hakka culture, and the cultures of immigrants. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang takes us to Songshan Cultural and Creative Park for a closer look. This work is called Here We Are. The bamboo represents the fusion of various cultures as well as trials in life. This large installation is made of bamboo, iron, and fabric. If you step inside, you'll see colorful fabric and lights which light up at night. The work represents the fusion of various cultures in Taiwan. The lantern tells the story of how immigrants who have moved to Taiwan overcome challenges. This piece weaved together from bamboo has lighting and other decorations inside. Different content can be seen from the inside and outside. There will also be performances at night around the lights. Visitors can admire the lights around them and at the same time enjoy the performances of immigrants from different ethnic groups. There are performances introducing the cuisines of various countries, including those from the Philippines and Myanmar. 
There's also this work titled A Home of One's Own. The work is made up of suitcases symbolizing the experiences of immigrants who leave their home countries. The LED lights depict the outlines of the Taipei's 12 districts. So far, the festival has been very popular with residents of Taipei and elsewhere, and many visitors come in the morning to avoid crowds. I am from Jai. This year's Lantern Festival is very beautiful. There are many people. We went to the Taipei City Hall in Songshan Cultural and Creative Park. I am from Taichung, and I came to Taipei to see the Lantern Festival because the festival in Taipei is quite different from those in other places. The festival in Taipei is divided into several districts with different themes. There are also lanterns depicting Hakka culture. This work is titled Women Tree on the Island. The seeds of the flower represent resilience and the ability to strive in various environments. Indigenous-themed works are also on display. One work titled Ancestral Spirits Number no. 6 consists of three parts. The stove symbolizes human civilization's ups and downs. The umbilical cords symbolize the unbreakable bond between mother and child. And the spirit pillar represents ancestral spirits. One of the highlights is the light installations representing immigrants, indigenous people and Hakka people. It is a multicultural experience. For example, the lights representing indigenous people are mainly located in the Baroque Garden, and the combination of sounds and lights is very engaging. There will be performances by artists, which visitors are sure to find entertaining. As for the Hakka light area, it is located in the ecological area. You can enjoy various Hakka songs and performances, and view lanterns at the same time. The Taiwan Lantern Festival is taking Taipei by storm. With hundreds of lanterns installations around the city, visitors are sure to find something to their liking. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Li Yihan in Taipei. One of Taiwan's newest political parties, the Taiwan Mahjong Greatest Party, on Tuesday held a press conference to promote an event in line with its party policy. It's a Mahjong tournament that will offer a total of 1 million NT and a charitable donation of 750,000 NT. The more than 10,000 participants that had signed up have been reduced to 256 finalists after 2,000 games. The oldest of them is more than 100 years old, and three of them are in their 90s. The chair of the party says the party's goal is to shake off the bad stereotypes of gambling attached to the tile-based game. The final will be held on February 19th.